We called this episode, How Different Religions Coexist in Heaven. And right there, if I came across it on the web, my first thought might be, come on, man. Enough of this, like, kumbaya stuff. Religions fight. It's what they do. Plus, why do some people act like they know something about what happens after death? Nobody knows that. Well, I'm totally sorry, but I'm about to make it a lot worse. Because not only are we going to assert that religious groups coexist in heaven, we're going to amp it up and say that having different religions improves heaven. And that actually, heaven couldn't be heaven without these differences. So going back to the skeptical me, I would say that there are two primary pieces that stand against the show's thesis. One, religions fight. A lot. Two, religions teach different things. How could that discord ever help heaven? So I see you those two pieces and I raise you one, the mechanism of how heaven works. What we're going to take a look at tonight is how once you add that piece, you lay out a model that self-consistently requires diversity to thrive. Then it can be up to you to decide whether you believe those who claim to have seen the other side and say, yeah, this is how it really is. You want to try it? Come on, we're already here, so let's just do it. Welcome back. Great to have you again on a Monday night. Uh, this is a cool topic. I'm excited to get into it. Not that I should hype up my own show like that, because it's just setting you guys up for disappointment. My name is Curtis. Uh, I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation. Nonprofit group is the Swedenborg Foundation that wants to probably help people understand Swedenborg's ideas, get Swedenborg's ideas out there with the overarching goal that this is somehow going to do some good for the world. And what we're going to do in this show is take you through a topic step by step, but we also want to hear what you guys have to say, what you think about it, all that kind of stuff. So feel free to contribute, get your questions in there, whatever social media platform you found this on, Facebook, YouTube, just enter some questions in your thoughts, your issues, all that stuff, and we'll get to it second half of the show. All right? So, Without further ado, let's get started. If we're going to tackle this, we've got to first get to what I would call the religion issue. That's such a a somber intro slide there. (laughs) It really got me a little choked up because it's a big deal. Uh, What is the religion issue? It would be this. When I say religion... We don't all say, yeah, that's great, cool, right? A lot of people have a reaction to that word. There's a lot of negative reaction to that, and there's a good reason for that. All kinds of negative things associated with religions. Obviously, wars, killings, especially right now, those are prominent. They're all over the news, but there's internal issues too. There are all kinds of scandals, uh, abuse, all this stuff. So what you're probably saying is how you take religions and put them together doesn't seem like heaven to me. So how is that a heavenly thing? And to get at that, we've got to talk about what heaven is in the first place. Now, as Swedenborg describes it, heaven and hell are not just places, they're states of mind. And if you can realize that, it makes the rest of it make a lot more sense. But if that still doesn't make sense, we can turn to the place we always turn to when things get confusing or scary, and that is to a pie chart. So we have a pie chart here, and this is how some people want to break up the world. You say, oh, well, you know, there's Christians, and there's Muslims, and, and there's non-religious people, and so on and so on. But really, that's not a good way to break it up. A more accurate way would be this. 
Uh, I talked about there's a heavenly mindset and a hellish mindset, and we labeled it with this trite wor- these trite words, nice and mean. So I would argue, and the, the, the sh- crux of the show is that you look at the left column, nice Christians, nice Muslims, nice non-religious people have more in common than nice Christians and mean Christians have in common. So if you break the world up like that into the heavenly mindset within all these different groups and the hellish mindset within all these different groups, then you start to get a more accurate dividing line. I'm going to give another even more superficial example, uh, web commenting. So web commenting is this thing, you guys are probably familiar with it, where you go and you can write little comments on things. And it can be a really good thing. Uh, I've always appreciated the quality of the comments that we get here, but it can also be a really negative thing. Uh, across the web, people get bullied. Uh, there's so much negativity. The more anonymous it is, the worse it is. Just, just go on the web. You're on the web right now. You know what I'm talking about. However, it can be a really cool thing, too. And it's because you can come at the web commenting from completely different areas. You see on the top, there can be things inside you that drive you to web comment. You can be coming from a desire to listen, learn, form relationships, and offer helpful commentary. Or, if you look on the bottom, you can be coming at the web comments from a desire to criticize, belittle, disrupt conversation, or force compliance. These are polar opposites, but they meet in the middle, which is web commenting. And what we were positing here is that the same thing can apply to religions. So you can be coming at those with these things that are really night and day. And we're talking here about how religions coexist in heaven, meaning the mindset of heaven as well as heaven as you'd really think of heaven. So if you think about that, we can talk about the hell side of things later, but if you think about it broken down like that, think of somebody who's all these different traditions and someone who's really nice, empathetic, enlightened, open-minded from each of these. Think of those all together in a room. And don't you think they could vibe pretty well? So that's the setup. Now that we got the religion issue out of the way, let's talk about the sympathetic friend. So the sympathetic friend is hard to pronounce and it's a great title. Why is it the title? Well, you're going to find out right now because we're going to crack open some Swedenborg. This is from Heaven and Hell, number 50. Six, And this is about the nature of what heaven is, because we got to get a little more into that to move things along. Further still, heaven is where the Lord is recognized, trusted, and loved. The different ways he is worshipped, in variations that stem from the difference of activity from one community to another, do not cause harm, but bring benefit, because they are a source of heaven's perfection. It is hard to explain this in such a way that it can be grasped without resorting to expressions usually found in academic circles and using them to explain how a perfect whole is formed from a variety of elements. And so that's code for, watch out, this is going to be boring or complicated or hard to listen to. Uh, But we have to go in there anyway, because what he says next is kind of the foundation for the whole rest of the show. But to make it more palatable, we put like music and graphics to it. So here's me like narrating it with a visual representation. Every perfect whole arises from a variety of elements. For a whole that is not composed of a variety of elements is not really anything. It has no form and therefore no quality. However, when a whole does arise from a variety of elements and the elements are in a perfected form in which each associates with the next in the series like a sympathetic friend, then it has a perfect quality. Okay, in case you fell asleep for that little part, let me recap. There was a bunch of circles 
And circles can't make a complex machine that achieves a complex purpose because they just kind of bounce off each other, right? But when you look at a watch and the gears and the screws and the little metal platelet things, what they can all go together in this form that makes it so they can do something as cool as tell time. I don't know if anybody wears watches anymore, but they look really cool on the inside. So we wanted to use that as an example. So that's what he's talking about. It makes sense, right? And so this is the precursor to this whole heaven conversation. Now, we're going to get back to just a straight book, as it was. More from Heaven and Hell 56, and he's still talking in this sort of academic way. This is going to be a little bit of slogging, but it's important to just get it. So this is, as I said last episode, this is vegetables right here. However, when a whole does arise from a variety of elements, and the elements are associated in perfect form in which each associates with the next in the series like a sympathetic friend thing, that's the you know title, then it has a perfect quality. Heaven is then a single whole composed of a variety of elements arranged in the most perfect form. For of all forms, the form of heaven is the most perfect. We can see that this underlies all perfection from every instance of beauty, charm, and delight that moves both our senses and our spirits. Such instances arise and flow invariably from a harmonious agreement of many things that are in sympathetic concord, whether they are together simultaneously or follow in a sequence. They do not flow from a single unit that lacks plurality. So we say that variety delights and recognize that the delight depends on the quality of the variety. We can see from this, as though in a mirror, how perfection stems from variety in heaven as well, since things that happen in the natural world offer us a reflection of things in the spiritual world. So, long story short, he says, things that are different working together make cooler stuff. And he said at the end, you can see this because there's this mirror in the physical world of what happens in the spiritual world. But if he really says that, we should be able to see it, right? Because don't we live in this world? So we're going to try it. We're going to put it to the test right now. Okay, so as we were saying before, just before the break, I'm going to say the same thing, which is if Swedenborg is saying that there is a mirror of the spiritual dimension in the physical dimension, we should be able to pick it out. And there should be, I mean, if he's going to go around saying there is this huge thing that's heaven and it works this particular way, uh, and that thing is organized by God as a source, and this world is the same, shouldn't we see some kind of branding there? Like what, you know, if you're seeing God show up in heaven in some way, it should show up here. So we should see the same thing that he was describing, which is that when different elements work together, they create a more perfect harmony or a more effective machine. And so we're going to start this by going to camera two. Yeah, we never had a camera two. So this is not like a pre-recorded thing. You can see my hands are here. Uh, my name is Curtis. I'm doing this right now. This is a real piano on a table in front of me. Uh, you can't see it in that frame because we're like surprising you. Uh, so this piano is here. So first we're going to look at how this shows up in music. And I know you might be thinking, Curtis, you can't play music. Who cares? So what we're going to do is first play this, which is a C. And when I play it, you can tell this is just one note. If I put two fingers on this note, it's still one note. Now, disclosure, this keyboard will only put out one note no matter how many fingers I put on a single key. But let's imagine that I put multiple fingers on that key, it 
produces that note multiple times. Still, you would barely be able to hear a difference. Maybe with the first two a little, but three, four, five, six, it wouldn't really matter. You'd have pretty much the same note and the same experience. But if I took those six fingers and I spread them out, you might get something like this, which is an entirely different feel, and it opens up all these possibilities to play these amazing things that I can't play. So, that's an example with a non-pianist using a USB keyboard. Let's see where it shows up in bigger, broader fields of study. The first one I want to take a look at is ecological diversity. And I went and asked an ecologist how this works. So ecosystems are the environment and all the species that live there. And each ecosystem has its number of niches or places where species can be useful. And that's partly determined by the environment, how much water, soil, what the climate is like, and partly by time, how many species have been able to come in and work together. But we find when we study ecosystems, that the ecosystems that are the most long-lasting and the most resilient to changes are the most diverse ecosystems. So the more species you have and the more different uses they perform and work together, they can deal with changes in climate, they can deal with extreme weather conditions, they can deal better with human impacts and other types of stressors like that. So ecosystems develop over time. You might start out with a landscape that's left over after a volcano erupts and there's nothing living there. The first type of organism that usually comes in is a lichen because it's two different species, actually two different genera that work together. And so one helps create an environment and one provides the food for both. And they start breaking down the rock and they make it conducive for other organisms to come in, small organisms, but slowly over time, you get more and more species, more and more interactions, and we find that as we study these types of environments, over time succession always leads to more diversity and a more stable ecosystem and one that's more resilient. So if, if we were going to hang out or something or you asked me to hang out and I was like, no, I'm too busy. But then you said, we can talk about ecology for a while. I'd be like, never mind. Okay, I'll clear my calendar because I love talking about that. Hopefully you guys found that as interesting as I do. And I'll try not to just repeat the whole thing out of excitement. I did. I used to study biology in school and you might say, you're not smart enough to do that. And I'd say, yes, I am, dad. I mean, just kidding. My dad's a great guy. Uh, so now what I'm what she was saying there is that species diversity within an ecosystem, meaning the more kind of plants and animals live together and interact in the same space, makes the whole thing more resilient because if something changes, there'll be species that can tackle it. And also, did you notice that when when there's a, something that wipes out everything, like a volcanic eruption, it takes a miniature version of this form of heaven to recolonize? Because a lichen, like she said, is two different sort of animals living together as one, and they both need each other, and only those two together 
are the ones that can colonize those extreme environments. So you have, and in ecology, there's so many uh, instances of this, but that was just a nice little summary that we got there. So that's something that's out in the world, but let's take a look now at how this principle of harmony, unity, increasing function, uh, how it appears inside the human mind. One person named Steve Covey, he wrote a very famous book called um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And my favorite word in the whole thing is interdependent. And with that concept, he tries to make the case uh, from a psychological perspective that we need a lot of different kinds of people and we need to need each other and we need to help each other. It shouldn't always be about competition and proving that I am independent, I don't need anybody, as if that's the ultimate goal. And too often people start to think, I don't need anybody. Another angle in psychology has to do with intelligence. Uh, Howard Gardner is a famous psychologist from Harvard, and he created this idea that maybe there's many ways to be intelligent. And I happen to agree with him that I think IQ tests are way overrated, as if there's only one little dimension that we could use to say, oh, low intelligence, high intelligence. He makes the case that maybe there's at least seven, maybe eight, maybe nine different, completely different areas that we can be smart in. For instance, um, there may be some people who are not very good at taking their academic tests, but put them in downtown New York City and they know where everything is and they have street smarts, they have practical intelligence, they know how to interact with people, they know they have almost a map of the city and they get along quite well in a city. Another example is artistic. Hard to measure, but certainly some people really excel in that. Other people are kinesthetic and they're maybe great athletes or dancers. A third area that fascinates me is the area of personality. And we have lots of different psychologists who look at the different kinds of temperament or personality that either we're born with or we develop across time. For instance, some of us are very extroverted, some of us are introverted. And it doesn't mean one is necessarily more healthy than the other, but we just need people in different ways and we replenish our um, psychic energy if we're either with people or alone. Other people are more logical and thinkers. Other people are more trusting their intuition. And another dimension has to do with how quickly we make decisions. Some people can make snap judgments based on very little information. Others love to reflect for a long time, think of all their options, and we actually need both. And what I like to do when I teach psychology is to help people understand we actually need uh, lots of different variety of intelligence, how we help each other, and respecting each other's temperaments, and acknowledge that my way is not the only way. And actually, I might need to compliment another person. If it's done with mutual respect, then you'll have people realize, oh, I'm very good at the details. Might be an accountant on a team. Somebody else is very good at dealing with the public, and so they might be in PR. And they really need each other because those are two very good skill sets. But in a business, in a family, in um, an academic group of people who are making decisions, it's nice to know that we have a variety of different kinds of skills that have been developed or even our innate temperaments. And if we come to depend on those with each other, then I think we can get jobs done better. So the more we recognize this, this that, that there are different kinds of intelligence and that they can work together well, the more effective an organization you can build. So the, we're going to stop there. We could do, obviously, a whole 10 shows just on where this principle shows up in the physical world in which we live. But hopefully that's going to be enough to at least open you up to hearing the next segment. So now that we've heard Swedenborg say heaven works in this 
particular way. A variety of elements working together in a harmony. You see this in these places in the physical world. Now let's take a look at how he describes the actual mechanics of heaven. So the way that Swedenborg describes it, something becomes more and more perfect based on sort of three things. The quality of the elements that it's made up of, the form those elements are in, and the purpose the whole thing is serving. And he's saying that heaven is the most perfect thing because those three elements or those three subcategories of it are the most perfect thing. So we're going to take a look at those in order. First, the elements that make it up, because in that watch we showed you before, the elements of a watch are like little gear wheels and little screws and little metal-y things. But in heaven, the elements are us. So let's take a look at what I mean. This is from Secrets of Heaven, number 457. Almost all who come into the next life from the world think that hell is the same for everyone and heaven is the same for everyone. When in reality, there are unlimited differences and variations in either case. Hell is never exactly the same for one person as for another, nor is heaven, just as there is never one person, spirit, or angel who is exactly the same as another. When I merely entertained the thought that there could be two people precisely the same or identical, it aroused horror among those in the world of spirits and among the angels of heaven. All unity is formed out of harmony among many, they say. The way that the many harmonize determines what kind of unity they have. No monolithic unity lasts, only the unity created by harmony. So every community in the heavens forms a single unit, as do all the communities or the whole of heaven taken together. The Lord alone makes this happen, and he does so through love. So you have that. That's a touch on both. They're saying that we're the elements that make up heaven and, and that we're not the same. Actually, nobody can be the same. And actually, it's creepy that you would even say that any of us could be the same. That's what Angel said to Swedenborg, or as he reports it. Um, but then also you hear something about form in there. It, and all it says is that God organizes the form. So divine intelligence. So the highest intelligence is organizing the form. What the actual form is, we'll get to later. But for now, we have the elements. We have an idea of the source of the form. But before we get to the purpose, we thought we'd take a little tangent, because if you read that same number, continue going, you get like a weird, fun piece of trivia. And why would we withhold that from you. So let's return to Secrets of Heaven 457. This is right after that. One angel calculated only the most general kinds of joy experienced by spirits, in other words, inhabitants of the first heaven, to be around 478. This indicated how countless the less general kinds must be, how innumerable the specific kinds that make up each general kind. And considering how many kinds there are in that heaven, you can see how unlimited must be the kinds of happiness in the heaven of angelic spirits and how many more yet in the heaven of angels. So if you're playing like Pictionary or you're at a party and somebody says, how many kinds of joy are there in heaven? You say, 478. That's what you say. And that, so I just, that's part of what I like about Swedenborg is this like specificness. And if it's real, if the stuff he's seeing is real, there's got to be stuff like numbers. Now, it's not like there are 478 feelings. Like there's happiness, sadness, the feeling of eating cake. And that's like, no, these are, these are categories. Like, you know, there's a, 
whatever kingdom mammalia, which has all everything from a mouse to a whale to an elephant in it. So these are just giant categories. But just keep that in mind because you're going to impress some people if you if you tell them that's how many joys there are in heaven. Anyway, so that was brought to you by whatever. So now we're going to go back to the main point, which is remember we were looking at heaven gets more perfect because of the elements, the form, and the purpose. The elements are us. The form is directed by the divine. What's the purpose? What's the point of heaven? What's so great about heaven that it's worth doing? All right, so let's take a look. This is switching to the book Heaven and Hell, number 418. In the heavens, all forms of perfection increase as numbers increase. This is because there is one goal for everything there and a unanimous focus of everyone on that goal. That goal is the common good. And when this rules, there is benefit to individuals from the common good and from the good of individuals to the good of the whole. This happens because the Lord turns everyone in heaven toward himself and in this way makes them one with himself. Anyone with a little rational enlightenment can figure out that the unanimous harmony of many people, especially from such a source and with such intimacy, brings forth perfection. So, the goal is the common good, a.k.a. the happiness of everybody. Everybody's working to make sure everyone's happy, right? And and what what is hipper than that? I mean, I think that's about the pinnacle. And so you see there that because everyone's arranged so well, because everyone is their unique self, and because the goal is so good, you get this amazing machine that's heaven, okay? So that's what Swedenborg says about how heaven works. So we laid it out, but we didn't really plug this religion thing into it, right? Like we talked about these different religions, but we didn't really get into how, but we're out of time. So we're gonna, no, I'm just kidding. We're going to explain it in the next section right now. Okay, so now we're going to try to tie this religion thing in, and also you might have heard in the last segment that you are an element in the machine of heaven. Uh, so you might think, okay, how do what do I do? How do I get prepped? What stretches do I do? So this is going to kind of help us understand what that means and hopefully tie in the main point of the show. So we're going to shift gears over to Swedenborg's book, Divine Providence, for a short quote from number 326. If there are to be all these elements in heaven... It cannot be made up of the people of one religion only. It needs people from many religions. So all the people who make these two universal principles of the church central to their own lives have a place in that heavenly person, that is, in heaven. They enjoy the happiness that suits their own nature. So you may have noticed in there that he said these two universals and these two universal principles, and he didn't explain what they were. That's because we cut the, we like, that was just a segment. He explained it earlier. I'll just say it to you there. That's these things right here. Um, these, uh, oh, they're going to appear, which is, oh, there they go. Right, I forgot we had it on a time delay. Um, just in case, I don't know, so I could run out of the room if I did something wrong. This, okay, here they are. Love of God love of the neighbor. These are the two universals of the church. And what that means, and of the church, and what what the church is a state of mind, and these two, if you're going to hang out with Swedenborg at all, you're going to notice that he uses phrases to mean, phrases, words, terms, to mean things that you don't think they mean. You might look at these and think, okay, right, so this means you love God, and this means you love other people. But he's using these as technical terms with a different meaning, and I'll briefly go into it here. He he says, love of God is not loving God for the image of God, the image God projects, but loving the goodness 
that comes out of God. Meaning, if you really love somebody, you would like to help them do what they want to do. You know, you want to, if you really admire someone, you want to help them accomplish things. What God is interested in, as Swedenborg describes, is love for the whole human race, to help everybody as much as possible, make them happy, make a happy life. So love of God is to love that goodness going out and to help other people. And love of the neighbor is actually love of the truth and the way, the power the truth has to improve situations. So yeah, that's that's what he says those mean. So those think of those two things, love of helping people, love of the truth. And if you have those two qualities, then you're in this heaven state of mind. So those are the those are the principles and if you start thinking about the people from all different faith type backgrounds who have those two principles, then you start to see the pieces. But let's take a look at how these different religions come into play and why they're useful in different ways. So let's look at Christianity, right? So picture that little ball in the center as a human mind. And around it, you have everything that comes with the package deal of Christianity. And remember, we're talking here about the good side of it, right? We already talked about how there's a whole bunch of stuff that you'd love to kind of jettison. But Right now, we're just talking about what's good, and that's what in the that's what makes it into the heaven mindset. You think about the kind of community around Christianity, even the aesthetic, what the teachings focus on, the what the personal practice focuses on, and all that could go together to form a human mind in a certain way. It influences and makes somebody into a certain kind of shape, right? If we're if we're sticking with our watch analogy, takes a different tradition like Buddhism, and there's a different set of principles there. You know, in some branches, there's this focus on. Uh, non-attachment or discipline of the mind. There are different kinds of rituals that you do. Different things, different feel, forms a different kind of mind, right? So you have that one there. Let's talk about what we call New Age now, which a lot of it is stuff from ancient sort of traditions with like a modern spin, but there's a lot of new stuff in there. Just think about how somebody who's really into that stuff, that forms their mind in a certain way. And it doesn't just have to be like religion type stuff. Things we do in life, think about the study of mathematics, or the study of music, or learning how to use your hands and work with stuff. All that goes in, and you could just tell from people you know, that forms the kind of person they are. So once you have all these different people, they all can play these different parts in the machine. And uh, that's, you know, in a good way, not like, oh, I'm part of the machine, man, but in part of this, like, wonderful machine. And if you had people that were only one, if it was only wheels, you couldn't have the watch. And Swedenborg is saying that you have to have these different kinds of people because nobody can do it all on their own and we need people to pick up all these different tasks. So if that's true, if it's really true that there's this one heavenly machine we're all going to go be a part of, um, but Swedenborg shouldn't be the only one saying that. We should see that popping up in other faiths, right? Somewhere. So here's a few examples that we found with some quick research. This first stuff is from the Bible. This is the New Testament revelation. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And notice that it doesn't say, it still is differentiated from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages. It doesn't say, like, everybody was the same, now that we're, now we're in heaven, so we're all, we have the same shirt. You know, this is people that are all different. And then in Romans, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, which is basically a call to, hey, let's all divide labor and work together like this. But moving on from the Bible, in the Quran, God created the seven heavens in harmony, from the Baha'i faith, it is our duty in this radiant century to investigate the essentials of divine religion, seek the realities underlying the oneness of the world of humanity, and discover the source of fellowship and agreement which will unite mankind in the heavenly bond of love. This unity is the radiance of eternity, the divine spirituality, the effulgence of God and the bounty of the kingdom. And then Confucianism, this is kind of cool, music expresses the harmony of the universe while rituals express the order of the universe. Through harmony all things are influenced and through order all things have a proper place and that's those two we've already been talking about those principles of um, order and harmony and so that's popping up there and then finally from a modern near-death experience this is from the website neardeath.com you can go check out all kinds of near-death experiences there no one sends us anywhere after death we are sorted by the vibration of your soul everyone goes where they fit in and this is that idea of how it fits so there you have it you have this okay this is how the heavenly mindset works. This is where we see sort of the machinery of heaven working in the world. This is how heaven itself works. This is how different religions contribute to that and why you need them. We said all that, but was it all a waste of your time? I mean, why does it matter? Why, why are we talking about this? So, this is a part of the show where we try to justify the existence of the show, and this, this subject pretty much pays for itself, because if you really had everybody in the world accepting this principle, that we're all going to be, we're all part of this unity, and actually our differences help out, we'd, you'd see an end to a lot of horrible stuff. So that's one side of the thing, but, but looking at the other side, just in a practical sense, the more we understand this principle, the better division of labor works, meaning like back, back in prehistory when we decided, okay, you know what, you go do this and I'm going to go do this because I'm good at this and you're good at that and we'll share what we get out of it, you know, and the more that that's effectively leveraged in organizations, the better organizations you get that can do more complex things. But the way that it struck me as something different is, kind of in the subtleties of how I think about other people. And not, like, it doesn't have to be, when thinking about people that are different than you, it doesn't have to be something obvious or blatant like race or religion. It can just be like, what do I think about people that don't know how to play guitar? Or what do I think about people that uh, aren't very good at math? Or something like that, you know. Uh, do I, or people that have sort of a different affect than me or a different style, do I kind of, like, marginalize those people? Do I sort of look down on them? Uh, probably, uh, you know, subconsciously or effortlessly. But this is really getting me to think, not only are, are those people necessary, uh, you know, but like I owe them something because they're, they're pulling a portion of the weight of humanity that I need them to be doing. So I don't know. I don't know if that sounds like cool or profound to you, but to me, I was like, oh yeah, these, these you know, I, I owe them a little bit of a debt because they're doing something that, that I need done, even if physically when I don't see the connection, you know, that there is this kind of broader spiritual connection. So I thought that was cool, and I want to leave it with this thought from Heaven and Hell, number 71. Every community in heaven is growing in numbers daily, and the more...
the more perfect it becomes. In this way, not only is the community perfected, but heaven in general is perfected as well, since the communities constitute heaven. So the more people are doing the heaven thing, the better it gets. And as we said in the beginning, heaven is this mindset. So the more of us buy into it, and obviously it's not like, oh, you got the heaven mindset or you don't. We, we fluctuate between these all the time, the, the selfish or the selfless mindset all the time. But the more often, more of us are choosing the good side, the better it gets for everyone, you know? So I feel like that's encouraging. And the, the, this, the more people are buying in, the stronger it gets, the more good it can accomplish. So I think that's cool. And we're going to find out whether you guys think that's cool right after this break, because we're going to go to our questions segment. So stay tuned. Okay, so this is when we get to uh, see what you guys think about it, get to hear your voices, add some input to the conversation. If you're watching now and want to put in your own question, just type it wherever you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or whatever, and we'll try to get to it. So let's pull up our first question. This one is from YouTube. Mike, are there different levels of heaven set according to different religions or beliefs? That's a good question, and here's my answer. And I'm going to answer these according to how Swedenborg describes it. Obviously, I'm not I, I'm not an eyewitness to this stuff, but as Swedenborg describes it, there are different levels of heaven, um, but not according to religious beliefs like, okay, everybody that is in this church is here, then there's this church. There are levels within each of the religions. The, the, the levels of heaven, as Swedenborg describes them, are levels of the mind. The more we're... You know, to say open your mind can kind of be a phrase that gets lost. You know, what does it really mean? The more uh, it's the more aware you are of reality of life and of uh, the reality of other people, meaning the more loving you are, the more empathetic, the more the mind opens and the more of God and of goodness can come in. So as, and the way Swedenborg describes it, there are three major levels of the mind. And the, as these open, you come into these higher and higher heavens. And there are, there is that opening within, um, within different faiths. And I think the, the way that I understand it from how he describes it is there's more of a separation at the lower levels. And the higher up you go, the more everybody's like on the same sort of wavelength. Um, obviously, you know, there, there's probably a lot of nuance. We're talking about something, if, if it is as Swedenborg describes, it would have tons and tons and tons of people there, be as broad and expansive and complex as this world and more so. But, but basically, it's that. So I appreciate that question, Mike, and, and there, those are my thoughts on it. So let's get to our next question. This is from Drive-By Poet on YouTube. When Swedenborg says the divine essence is love and wisdom, what does wisdom mean in this context? Also, what's truth as he uses the word? And that's a great question because if you do any Swedenborging, you're going to find yourself coming across that word, wisdom or truth, a lot. The first thing I would say is last episode, uh, we did a little, I I called my good friend Cardam and asked her about that on the air, and she explained a little bit about what this wisdom is. I'll just try to regurgitate it as best I can. Um, it's more than you think. Uh, he says that love and wisdom are the two essential units of life. Basically, this is the, the emanation of God. However, it does carry some of that meaning, uh, wisdom. We, when we hear wisdom, we think of, okay, you know, knowledge of the world with some kind of application, uh, and and there is, there is that, in that sense, meaning that you have 
wisdom in a person looks like that. It's more and more an understanding of how things are. However, there's a moral component to wisdom, as Swedenborg describes it. The more loving you are with your knowledge that you have, the wiser you are. Because if you know a lot of stuff, but you're using it to be a jerk, then that's you're actually less wise for two reasons. One, that's mean and bad. And two, you, you're putting yourself in the wrong direction. You're, you're squandering the potential of that. That wisdom only comes from when, when love and ideas get together. And truth is a similar sort of, I mean, truth is the form that love takes. He describes that. You can think of truth as, oh, we're trying to communicate in this show truths about what the spiritual world is like, the nature of God, heaven, these kinds of things, and those are truths, but the ideas that come into our mind um, are just sort of like a representation of this thing that's more like an object or a force. And hopefully what I've communicated to you is that I don't fully understand. I don't understand what that means. And I read it all the time in Swedenborg, and I feel like I'm still trying to learn it. But the, you can sort of think, oh yeah, I know, uh, you know truth and, and love. But the more you read it, the more you realize, I don't know what this is. But those are my best guesses. So thanks for that. If anybody else out there has a better answer, you can, you can write it in the forums there, and hopefully that'll be good. Let's get to our next question. This is by Blendre on YouTube. I'm not going to, I don't know how to pronounce things. Do they actually use the names of each religion, or do they refer to people by their behavior and the details of their behavior? There is a quote by Swedenborg that I think is in the book Divine Providence, and he says, when we get into the, i um, got to paraphrase it a bit, when we get into the spiritual world, the world we all enter into after death, nobody asks what your faith was like, or your religion, but what your life was like. So that would seem to point to, it's not about, we don't use those words, we actually just talk about life. However, on the other hand, he talks a lot about people still having religious gatherings, and the other, that the life we lead in the next world is is not like a, a reboot, it's a continuation. We, we spend this life figuring out who we are and what we do, and there we continue to do stuff. So people will still have, people who like church and stuff like that, don't worry, you don't have to go, but people who like church and stuff like that will still do that. And uh, there is a lot of labeling. However, as far as like how they talk and and like every day, do they say like, hey, there's Joey, he's a Christian. Um, I don't know. I don't know about that. So luckily there's something I don't know about that answer. All right, so that those are my thoughts on that one. Really appreciate it. Uh, let's get to our next question. This one is from YouTube. Uh, X Jones, could the human race actually be better off because of its differences? We are already. Tolerance is the issue. And that's a good point. Because, I mean, that is, yeah, I mean, it's already, the function is already there, but it's just that we got some mind problems. And this is like, and I think it brings up this complexity of like, obviously, uh, you know, there's, you have sometimes have to take actions, you know, like we're, we talked in the beginning about religious warfare, you know, and that there are people who are killing other people because, uh of different religions. And we can't just sit back and be like, well, we have to be tolerant of those people killing those other people. Sometimes you got to step in and do something. But yet, there's a lot of overstepping and people reacting negatively to each other just because of differences. So yeah, a lot of it is a, a mind-cleaning thing, which would be that heaven sort of mindset. And someone was asking before about the truth. And the truth is, you know, the more you learn about people that are different than you, the more you realize, oh, like, 
no, these people are actually similar and I, and I like them. So the more we can do that, the better it gets there. Who knows if that made sense. I'll watch it afterwards and see if it did. Okay, let's take another one here. This is by Lisa on Facebook. If all faiths can be a path to God, then what is idolatry? Because either you, there's, in some traditions, there's a lot of pushback. Like, okay, this is how you worship. If you worship like this, that's no good. You're going to get in big trouble for that. And in the Bible especially, there's all kinds of commandments against idolatry and all that. And I know that Swedenborg um, describes what you would call idolatry in the following way. There's all kinds of, like, we're talking about people um, worship, like worshiping in front of statues or those kinds of things, right? Um, those can be really great tools. All kinds of religious artifacts and, and those kinds of things can help you can, it gives your mind something to focus on. It's a part of worship. It's a part of the ritual. Where Swedenborg says there can be a problem is if you start to worship the actual physical object instead of thinking it represents something, because that kind of limits you and gets you uh, tangled up in things. I would say, too, and he points this out, that, you know, idolatry, if there's something, like, if you, your uh, own ego, like, your sense of self is the most important thing in your life, meaning, like, I'll harm other people because I got to serve this thing. You know, I got to make myself be cool. Um, that's a problem. I, that's idolatry too. You know that if you're going to put that in the place where love of God should be, which as we discussed is a love for helping others, then that could be idolatry too. So hopefully that's fun and makes sense. So we're going to take one more question here before we wrap it up. This is Judith on YouTube. In the Baha'i faith, all the elements of all religions are accepted and respected as being different facets of the same single gem, which is faith in God. So it sounds like they know what they're talking about, and they summarize the show well, so hopefully you guys got that out of the program tonight, and that's a good place to uh, to wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you like this program and want to help it continue you can consider making a donation. The Swedenborg Foundation is a nonprofit group. It's tax deductible if you care about that kind of thing. Just open the description of this video and there's a link there where you can help support this and help other people see it. And to close, I have to admit that we wronged you in one, at least one way, because I said, I was talking about, do you remember back when I was talking about the form of heaven? What's the form? And I said, we're going to get to that later. Uh, what, what the actual, because it's not a watch. You know, we, we had this watch on screen. It's not, heaven is not a watch. You know, that, that's like, that would be outdated so fast. However, it does have a specific form that Swedenborg describes. But we're not going to tell you about it today, and I'm sorry, but we are going to tell you about it next week. So join us then, hopefully, if you got some time.